Acts chapter 24. And we're going to have to go fast this morning. I'm going to attempt to bring a message that should probably be three messages. Anybody scared yet? And uh, we're going to we're going to fly through this. So make sure that you have a Bible in your hands. We're going to be going. We're going to be scouring the scriptures this morning. So if you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, uh, there is one provided in the pew in front of you. So Acts chapter twenty-four. Acts chapter twenty-four. Our theme for the year is take the next step. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And what we're looking to do this year is take the next step. All of us are in different places spiritually. Some of us have been saved for a long time. Others of us are new believers. Some of us have been discipled. Others haven't. All of us, though, well, let me put it this way. None of us have arrived. (laughs) None of us are the people that God wants us to be yet. And I know that because we're still in these bodies. Amen? We're still here. And so the, the goal that I am putting before the church this year is for us to take the next step. This message is about taking the next step, but you won't see that until all the way at the end. So let's look at this. Acts chapter 24, we're going to start reading in verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix and his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, uh, he sent for Paul and heard him, Concerning the faith in Christ. So there you have uh, Felix is uh, the, the ruler there. He is called Paul. And so he wants to hear about this gospel. So look at what Paul says. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered. As he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, for I have a convenient, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I wonder how many people in history have done that. They, they call on a believer or they meet a believer who reasons with them out of the scriptures. They hear the truth and it really does stir them. The truth stirs them. But they say, go away. I'll take care of this when it's convenient. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand your word today. You have given us a miraculous book, a supernatural book, a powerful book, your word. Please help us as we try to look at it today and understand some things and learn some things and have some perspective. And then change us. Help us not to just sit here and take in information. But Lord, please wash us and make us clean. Change us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible here says that the Apostle Paul was reasoning with Felix about some specific subjects, righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. It's interesting to me. Righteousness will take you to heaven, but not your righteousness. Temperance, leaving things away, moderation will not take you to heaven. But if you're born again, you will exhibit temperance. But whether you are born again or not... For all of us, there is judgment to come. Amen? When there there was a time when preachers would preach and people would tremble. Literally tremble. There were preachers that would walk into a town and people had just heard about the preaching. They would see the preacher come and they would tremble. But we live in a time today 
where we are, as a, as a culture, as a civilization, and as a world, where we are so far removed from the truth of the Word of God that honestly people rarely tremble about the truth of the Word of God. But we as believers do, don't we? How many of you, you've ever been reading a text, and you read it and you come across that and you go, man, does that ever happen to you? Laura, last night, um, I was trying to watch football, and she decides that's when she's going to get spiritual. I'm literally, I'm watching the Colts, and she's reading the Bible to me. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? But she saw this passage in the Bible that's talking about Ur, who was the son of Esau, right? Judah. And the verse says this, Ur, the son of Judah, he was wicked, so God killed him. That's a short verse that has a lot of meaning. Amen? You're like, oh, man, how am I doing? Am I doing okay, God? <laughs> you know, I don't want to be wicked, but it's interesting. It really happened. Amen? So here's the question. Has God changed? No. No. Does that mean that God's going to kill me today? Man, I hope not. <laughs> so, you know, the Bible gives us answers to those things, doesn't it? But people no longer tremble about the authority and the reality of God's word. Felix looked for a more convenient time, not knowing that the principles were sh- or that, that, that the time was short. Go to Hebrews with me. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. There were a group of Christians in, the, in America near our founding, and they were called Six Principal Baptists. How's that for specific? Six Principal Baptists. And they took their name from this passage. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, so that, that, was, the, that, that was the foundation, now they're going to get these principles. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of the laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal punishment. So the foundation that had been laid were these doctrines, repentance from dead works. So in other words, a foundational truth is that your dead works cannot save you. You must be saved from dead works. That's a foundational principle. Another foundational principle. Well, what is it that saves you from dead works? Faith toward God. Faith toward God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you see that that's a foundational principle? That's a first principle. Then the doctrine of baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms. Now notice there's an S there. There's more than one baptism. When you're born again, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into the body of Christ. That happens after you leave dead works, you have faith toward God, then when you have faith toward God, you are placed, immersed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's followed by water baptism into the local church, doctrine of baptisms. Then the doctrine of laying on of hands. What is that? The doctrine of laying on of hands. Well, that's very simple. In the book of James, when a person was sinning, they were living a sinful lifestyle, God was chastening them by bringing sickness into their lives. They would confess that sin and forsake it, the men in the church would come around them and lay hands on those men and pray for them so that they could be healed. It wasn't something where we're all just going to get together and heal each other. 
It's that they were confessing their sin. They stopped behaving a certain way. And then there was a laying on of hands, the anointing of oil. There's another time where we have laying on of hands. That's when a man is ordained to the ministry or sent out into the ministry. And the laying on of hands, let's say, Nathan, come up here for a second. Nathan's going to be a professional football player and pay for the next church. That's the plan, right? (laughs) Okay, so here, Nathan, I'm going to send Nathan out. Let's say that Nathan wants to be a pastor, wants to go start a church. Well, us at Grace Baptist Church, we'd get our men together. We'd lay our hands on them and send them out. That laying on of hands is saying, you're going out in our name. We can't go. You can go. We're going to support you. You're going out under our authority and in our name. Thank you. In Acts chapter 7, or Acts chapter 13, that's what the church there at Antioch did with Paul and Barnabas. They sent them out, laying on of hands. First, fundamental. How about this? The resurrection of the dead. That's another principle, the resurrection of the dead. How many of you here believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Do you know what that means? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. That means we will also, if we die, if the Lord doesn't return first, we will be raised from the dead. Amen? Uh, my son Riley, he's buried there in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Man, it's weird walking into that graveyard. It is just strange seeing this stone. Because you understand when you look at that stone, that's not Riley. Right? But we remember him by looking at that. One of these days, Riley is going to rise from the dead. That's a foundational truth. What hope? That gives us. How many of you have a loved one that's gone home to be with the Lord? They're going to be risen. That's a foundational doctrine, resurrection of the dead. Now, let's, look, let's go back here in verse 2. Of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. A foundational truth for every believer, a foundational truth of the Word of God, is that there is eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. This is a foundational truth. What I want to give you this morning are six foundational truths about judgment to come. Six foundational truths. Things that we as believers need to understand. How many of you would say, I am born again. I know for sure that if I died today that I'm going to heaven. I am sure of that. Would you raise your hand? Praise God. Praise God. Now, if you're here today and you couldn't raise your hand, You're not sure whether or not you died today. You're going to heaven. These foundational truths will be even more important to you. But six foundational truths. The first foundational truth, number one, foundational truth, number one, eternal judgment is coming. Eternal judgment is coming. Do you see what it says? Eternal judgment. Now, this eliminates some things. The first thing that it eliminates is purgatory. There's no such thing as purgatory. If someone has taught you that when you die, that if you're not good enough, that you get to go to a place and be tormented for a period of time until you're good enough or until someone pays enough money to pray for you to get you out of purgatory, if someone has told you that, they may love you, they may be really good people, but someone lied to them. There is no such thing. Uh, I'll give you $1,000 if you can find purgatory in this Bible. I don't have $1,000, but Dan knew will. He'll... (laughs) thousand dollars if you can find it's just not there you don't you don't have to worry about it there's no purgatory there's another thing that this eliminates though um it, how many of you have ever seen barnes notes barnes notes on the bible so if you have a bible software program you'll see barnes albert barnes was a bible scholar other bible scholars even some baptists in the 1800s they came to believe in what was called a universal salvation a universal salvation 
The concept of universal salvation is that at the end, at the end of time someplace, you will have suffered in hell long enough and you'll ultimately be saved. Some universalists even believe that, that Satan will ultimately be saved. Well, the reason that they believe that is because they don't believe in eternal judgment. They don't believe in eternal judgment. But when the Bible says eternal judgment, that does away with purgatory, which is temporary. That does away with a universal salvation for those who have been damned. It does away with that. Amen? Amen. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.14. We won't look at that right now, but let me just read it to you. I know that I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. You know what? Let's, let's look at it. I want you to mark that in your Bible. Job chapter 3. Job chapter 3. How many of you understand that whatever you're doing right now is temporary? It is temporary. Anybody involved in remodeling, maybe? Uh, Shane Thomas was telling me that he's redoing a bathroom, and that had been done, he found out when it had been done last, 1983. Do you think in 1983 they were thinking about doing it again real soon? No. No. We invest our time and labor, and, and, you know, and I'm for that. I like new bathrooms. Okay? I'm for that. We're doing it. We're enclosing the garage at my house. I'm for that. I, we, and we do live here, so we invest and we do things. We just need to understand it's all going to burn. It's all temporary. But what God does, look at it, Ecclesiastes, or, uh, yeah, Ecclesiastes, I don't know why I turned to Job. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Did I tell you, Job? Well, that's a good verse too, but that's not where we're going. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it that men should fear before Him. So here's some thoughts. Many people, there are good people who believe the Word of God, who believe in salvation by grace through faith, who believe that they can lose their salvation, that they can get to a point where their salvation no longer counts. It doesn't work. I, and there are many ways to debate that. But to me, the, the, the truth of the Word of God is this. The, the, let me say this. The truth of the Word of God that helps me the most to understand or to combat that doctrine is this. Salvation is of God. It's not of man. So let me just ask you a simple question. Can you save yourself? Is salvation only through God? Well, the Bible says, Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything from it. Salvation is only and completely of God. Everybody do this. <sighs> Man, I'm so glad it's not up to me. It is up to God, okay? But that also means... That also means that if you are judged by him in the negative, that's forever. Why does he tell us that? So that we'll fear him. So that we'll fear him. 
I might change my mind. If I tell Jacob, all right, you are never, you, you don't eat that, you're never going to eat again. <laughs> I might change my mind. All right? But God will never change his mind. It's forever. It's forever. So foundational truth, eternal judgment is coming. We serve an eternal God who gives eternal salvation and eternal judgment. That's foundational truth number one. Foundational truth number two is this. There will be more than one judgment. There will be more than one judgment. There are several judgments. Let me give you some examples. John 16, 11 says the prince of this world is judged. Satan is already judged. He's already judged. The sentence hasn't been commuted, hasn't, hasn't been executed yet, but we already know what's going to happen. Amen? Then Romans 14, 10 says all saved must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a judgment that's coming. Matthew chapter 25, there's a judgment coming that is the judgment of the nations. Revelation chapter 20, the judgment of all the lost. So there are different judgments. That's really important because a lot of times when we think of the judgment, we just think of one. So foundational truth for believers is that there is more than one judgment. Don't miss that. The reason that that becomes very important is if I am persuading Patrick here, if we're talking that he's going to be judged, well, Patrick, are you born again? All right, and so you know you, you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, and you know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven, right? So when I tell him judgment is coming, he's not going to be judged for his sins. Patrick's sins were already judged on the cross. That's good news. That's really good news. So he needs to understand that the judgment that he's going to stand before is different than the judgment of people who are not born again. That's a foundational truth that's really important. You know what that does? That makes me free. I don't ever have to worry about the condemnation of God. Jesus Christ bore the condemnation, condemnation on the cross for me. I don't have to worry about that. That's really good news, all right? So there are different judgments. That's a foundational truth. Foundational truth number three. Foundational truth number three. These judgments are described in the Bible, and they have a specific nature. So foundational truth number three, the specific nature of these judgments. First of all, these judgments are final. They're final. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. Now, here's what that means. Um, many times we'll see on the news that someone has been convicted of murder. And we know they did it. You know, it's obvious that they did it. And now death has passed. The sentence of death has passed. 20 years later, they're still appealing. Right? We've all seen that. Why is that? Because in our system, there's a chance for the judge and jury to be wrong. And that's happened before, right? That doesn't happen when you stand before God. Because His judgment is eternal, that means there are no appeals. When God says this... And you say, but God, you don't understand. Really? But God, you don't know. Really? Can I ask you this? When you stand before God, you're going to present evidence that he's not seen before? No. No. You've got to understand the nature of God. That's why you have to have these foundational principles. God's judgment is final. There are no appeals. Another thing about these foundational, this foundational truth, the nature of these judgments, these judgments are yet future. Look at Hebrews 9.27. 
Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed unto men, this is Hebrews 9.27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment... All right, so how many of you are still alive? Okay, that means it hadn't happened yet. So judgment is yet future. But here's the thing. How many people, how many of you fall under the category of human race? Pretty much everyone here? Some people were wondering about? All right, and as is pointed to men, once to die, and after this the judgment. That means no one is excluded. All of us who are in the human race, I'm sorry, Fido does not, you know, belong. Your, your, your dog is not going to heaven with you. I'm sorry. He's nice. Your cat, sorry, not happening. But all men, we're all going to die unless the Lord returns. We're all going to die, and we're all going to be judged. There's judgment after death, and it is yet future. Look with me at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 25. Let's start reading verse 24, just because I like verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, notice that the, notice the, the tenses here. If you hear and you believe the word of Jesus Christ... You believe on God the Father who had sent Jesus Christ. You are passed from death unto life. This is something that, this has happened already. Amen? So again, judgment has been passed. Judgment has been passed. I am born again, and I'm not going to be condemned. That's why I can say that about Patrick. When I let him know that there are different judgments, your sin's already been judged, brother. That's awesome. No condemnation. No condemnation. Now, if only your wife would stop condemning you, right? That's the next... Okay, now. That's not right, is it? No, it's not right. Okay, now let's look at verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you... Now, whenever you see verily, verily from Jesus Christ, He's doing this. Listen up. Let me get your attention. All right? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, unto the resurrection of damnation. All right, so now, has this happened yet? Are there still people in graves? Yes, yes. That demonstrates to us, we're talking about the nature of these judgments, they are final, and they're yet future. So here's the idea, folks, there's still time. We don't know how much, but there's still time. That's a foundational truth. Then, Here's another foundational truth. 
under this truth number three, the nature of these judgments, they're final, they're future, but they will be just. Whatever God does, it's going to be just, it's going to be right. How many of you have ever had your children say, that's not fair? Has that ever happened? And then you beat them like a drum, right? Life's not fair. Let me tell you, though. When God, I remember after the O.J. Simpson trial. Now, I don't know where you stand on it. I think that he's a killer. Um, but after that acquittal, how many of you felt like justice was not done? Did you feel that way? Yeah. Sometimes you'll hear a, a judgment or you'll read something in history that happened. And you'll say, that is not just. We don't have to worry about that here. When Abraham was talking to, to God all the way back in Genesis 18, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's a rhetorical question. Of course he will. That's Genesis 18, 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, it's a given. Yes, he will. Look at Job chapter 34. I knew we'd be going to Job. Job chapter 34. Verse 12. Job 34, 12. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. That's a great verse. Let's read it again. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. So here's the idea. The judgments of God will always be just. In earthly courts, sometimes defendants will stand before a judge who will do right. How many of you think that's possible? I think it happens most of the time in America. I think that, that judges try to go according to the law and do right. But it is possible in an earthly court to stand before a judge whose understanding of justice is perverted and he is unable to render a correct judgment. That's called the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco. Those people, there's got to be something wrong with their heads. Honestly, they'd look at this, they'd look at this pulpit and say it's a Volkswagen. They look at things and they make determinations on the law. They find things in, in the Constitution that a magician couldn't find. Amen? They have perverted minds. So it's possible that you can stand before a judge with a perverted sense of justice. Sometimes they'll stand before a judge that they're able to bribe so that, that he might render the judgment that they desire even though they're guilty according to the law. Can I ask you a question? What are you going to bribe God with? What does God need? What are you going to bribe Him with? Nothing. Nothing. Even if He did have a need, even if He did have a need, His justice would not allow Him to take that bribe. His judgment will be just. According to the Word of God, God will not do wickedly nor pervert judgment. So again, no appeals. No appeals. Look at Psalm chapter 9, the ninth Psalm. Ninth Psalm. 
and look at verse 7. But the Lord shall endure forever, people said. Amen. Amen. For he hath prepared, I'm sorry, he hath prepared his throne for judgment. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The judgment that God makes will be just. And notice what it says. Look at what it says. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. It's ready. It's ready. There's a judgment that's coming, and it is ready. All right? So, these judgments... Let me give you another thing about the nature of these judgments. Look at John chapter 5 again. John chapter 5. And I think even believers, many believers don't realize this. John chapter 5, look at verse 22. You will not be judged by God the Father. We say this often. When you stand before God, and you will stand before God, but look at which person of the Godhead you'll be standing before. Verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. All these judgments, the nature of the judgment, Jesus Christ is a judge. Okay, foundational truth number four. Foundational truth number four. There is an order to the judgment. There's an order to these judgments. We know when they're going to happen according to the Word of God. Look at um, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. This is such an amazing passage. The Bible says that judgment be, must begin at the house of God. Judgment must begin at the house of God. What's that talking about? All right, look with me at First uh, Timothy. First Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. In what? Where is judgment going to begin? which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So judgment must begin at the house of God. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, all of those who are born again will be raptured out. 
And that's when the judgment seat of Christ takes place. Every person who is born again, judgment begins at the house of God. The house of God is the church of God. That means that our judgment as believers is the first judgment that is yet to take place. Um, We must, before we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, to give account of ourselves, the rapture takes place. That's the beginning of judgment. The next judgment is found for us in Matthew chapter 25. Look at Matthew 25. Look at verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory. Do you see that? When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then... Now notice the time words. When and then. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. So here we have the judgment of the nations. So here's the timeline. Jesus Christ comes in the clouds. In the clouds. And He takes us away. That's the rapture. That's not when He comes in His glory. He comes in His glory at the end of the seven-year tribulation period to establish His kingdom and sit on His throne in Jerusalem. That is when this judgment will take place. That's clear right here, right? When He comes in His glory, sits on His throne, these nations will be gathered together, and He'll judge the sheep. He'll, He'll separate, make a distinguishment between the sheep and the goats. That's not an individual judgment. That's a judgment of nations. Look at what it says again. Don't miss it. Verse 32, And before Him shall be gathered all what? Nations. So He will separate sheep nations from goat nations, and it's all based, the rest of the passage, it's all based on how they treated Israel. We're going to be talking about that in this evening's service. If you've always wanted to understand what this is talking about, be here tonight. We're going to break that whole passage down and compare Scripture with Scripture. But this is a distinction between sheep nations and goat nations. No saved people. There will not be one born-again person at this judgment. Don't miss that. They've already been taken out. That's why it's important to understand the order. Rapture of the church, judgment seat of Christ. Then comes, after the seven-year period, Jesus Christ establishes His kingdom. At the beginning of the kingdom, you have this judgment of the nations. Then the Lord will return. He'll fight the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon, all of these nations are gathered together. I said at the beginning of the judgment. This is actually towards the end of the the millennium. He judges all of those nations. That's what takes place then. We'll explain that tonight. There's a next judgment. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And look at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, 
which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So here's what happens. Beginning of the millennium, you have this resurrection. It's called the first resurrection. That includes the rapture of the church. And then at the end of the tribulation, all those dead who have lived through the tribulation, who, uh, who were born again during the tribulation, they all live. That's called the first resurrection. Anybody that is born again before the Lord returns, if you've heard the gospel, you will not have another chance to hear and believe the gospel during the tribulation period. But those who are saved who had never had a chance to hear during the tribulation period, all of those dead and alive are gathered together. That's what's called this first resurrection. Then look at what it says. Verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Remember, he's bound at the beginning of the millennium. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is the battle of Armageddon. So that is where God judges completely those nations. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. How long is God's judgment for? Forever and ever. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So now there is an order. We've been looking at the order of these judgments. There's something you need to understand. When Jesus Christ returns, He's not returning because things are going so well. He's returning because things are so bad. And he is also returning because of what's about to happen in Israel. He comes back to establish his kingdom. Now, here's what's so important that you don't miss. Many people, if you read most theologians, especially of the 1800s, they are going to teach what's called post-millennialism. That is that Jesus Christ will return after the millennium. And that it's our job as believers working in the church to bring about peace on earth to make the world such a great place that Jesus Christ can come and establish His kingdom. How are we doing? Now, see, in the 1800s, though, here's where this becomes so important. You say, why would, why would Baptist preachers believe that? Well, first of all, they were influenced by what's called Reformed theology, the doctrine of the Reformers. That's what was taught in the colleges, and that is part of their teaching of future things, their eschatology. So that's simply what they were taught. But there's another reason. This was the time of great revivals. Remember I talked about preachers walking into town and people trembling? That was the Philadelphia church period. 
God had set me, because they had kept his word, according to Revelation chapter 3, they had kept his word and not denied his name. Therefore, Jesus said, I have set before you an open door. And that door was open. The gospel went around the world. Preachers would preach and people by the thousands were getting saved. George Whitfield would go into a field. 20,000 people would come to hear him preach. You must be born again. A reporter asked him, why do you always preach you must be born again? And Whitfield said, because you must be born again. And he would preach you must be born again and thousands and thousands of people would come. Listen to what's going on in the 1800s. Policemen are being laid off. Bars are closing. Houses of ill repute are closing. Con entire communities are being changed by the preaching of the gospel. So you can see how people would think, wait a minute, apparently this is working. We are making the world a better place. But then... German higher criticism comes in. The questioning of the Bible comes in. You have World War in World War I. All these men go and fight in World War I. They come back to America. All of that theology that had come back, that doctrine. And now the world is all of a sudden in a horrible place. Do you know why we have the ratings systems for movies? Because in the 1920s, movies were becoming so filthy literal pornography in the regular movie houses in the 1920s. That's why the rating system. All of a sudden, people were studying the Bible and they were realizing, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't really say that things are going to get better. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. The day will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and be turned away from the truth. The Bible knew that the Bible had already told us that's what was going to happen, but people had been deceived. Now, as we study the Bible, it just becomes very clear that Jesus is not returning because things are going well. He's returning because they're going so badly. So these judgments have an order. But there was a question in 1 Peter chapter 4 that said, where shall the ungodly and sinners appear? Revelation chapter 20 is where they will. So the order is very simple. Judgment begins at the house of God, that is, the judgment seat of Christ. Then comes the ungodly appearing before God at the great white throne judgment. Let me give you a, a, another explanation of it. Look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Y'all still with me? Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses. How many of you who are in uh, my Sunday school class this morning noticed something that's right there? Did he think he was doing it, or did he do it? He did it, all right? If you weren't in my class, you wouldn't understand that, but that's okay. Um. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, both they, uh, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people. Here's what here they're supposed to preach. And to testify that, is, that it is he 
which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. There are two people identified here, the quick and the dead. Those who just believed in one resurrection believed that the judging of the quick and the dead would happen at that, for, at that one resurrection. But the quick and the dead, what we're going to see, if you look with me, we're running out of time. So the quick are identified in Ephesians chapter 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The quick are those who are born again. They're made alive. The dead are those who are still in their trespasses and sins. They're the lost. So he is going to judge the saved and the lost. The nature of the judgment, you only have two kinds of people, saved and lost, quick and dead. Um, Then, foundational truth number five. Foundational truth number five. This is the nature of the judged. This is what we were just talking about. Don't miss this. There's only two kinds of people at the judgment, the quick and the dead. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll get an understanding of how these judgments work and when. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the what? At his appearing and his kingdom. The quick are judged at his appearing. The dead are judged at his kingdom. It's very simple. If, you do, if you'll do this, get your concordance out and look at the word appearing in your Bible. It will always be dealing with the rapture of the church. His appearing, it's quick. His coming, when he establishes his kingdom, that is the millennium. So he judges the quick, those who are alive at his appearing. The rapture of the church, judgment seat of Christ. At the end of the millennium, at the end of his kingdom, he judges the dead. The great white throne, judgment. Um, even in Paul's day, Felix didn't want to hear what Paul had to say, and it caused him to tremble. We live in a wicked day when people will hear this truth that I'm giving you right now, but will not tremble. The judgments are of the saved and the lost. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7 that God cleanses us from all sin. When we stand, the nature of the judgment, what is being judged? I need to understand that as I'm born again, I am cleansed from all sin. Amen? But if you're lost, you're being judged. But how are we being judged? How are we being judged? That was foundational truth number five. The nature of the judge is the saved and the lost. Foundational truth number six, the last one, the basis of the judgment. These judgments, we're going to narrow it down now to the three judgments that we've been speaking of. That is the judgment seat of Christ. That's where believers are judged. The judgment of the nations. That's when nations are judged based on how they treated Israel during the tribulation period. And then the the great white throne judgment where all the lost people will stand before Christ and be judged. What are they being judged on? What is the basis of the judgment? Everything that we've done in this message to this point was to bring us right here. So I want you to see this. Those who are lost will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. No one will escape it 
who refused to believe in God. The Bible says in Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. At the end of the thousand years, those nations that are in hell, remember what's happened. You have the great, you have the rapture of the church during those seven years of tribulation on the earth. Believers are standing before the great white throne judge, or the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. After the seven years, Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. At the end of that period of time, he judges all of those nations that have been cast into hell. But that's nations. Nations are made up of individuals. Those individuals still have to stand before God. Now remember, don't ever miss this. You are responsible for your government. The Bible says when a king harbors lies, his servants are wicked. Especially in America, we're responsible for our government. Amen? We're responsible for how our government treats Israel. But that's another message. Now, those, people, those nations that have been cast into hell, those people are now raised individually and they individually stand before the great white throne judgment. All the dead, small and great. And they give an account for how they have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. But local, let's go back to Revelation chapter 20. And I want you to, to really understand the basis for the judgment. The basis for the judgment. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. And I want you to mark this. According to their works. Do you know what people are judged for at the great white throne judgment? Their works. Their works. Here's the thing. If you want to stand before God and be judged according to your works, He'll let you. He'll let you. Lost people, when they refuse to accept the finished work of Christ on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, are saying, the works that I do are sufficient enough to get me into heaven. I can be good enough. My works are good enough to get me into heaven. Well, here God is going to judge whether or not that's true. You do get, you get the opportunity to be judged by your works. We know according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved by faith. So how are you saved? By grace through faith. Are you saved by works? Not by works, lest any man should boast. So here, you are judged by your works at the great white throne judgment, but there's only one verdict. And that's death. Eternally. Eternal suffering. The second death in the lake of fire. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to defend this for you. Whenever you see this, the lost are always judged according to their works. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I mentioned to you that there are some universalists who believe that Satan and his devils and his angels will even be saved. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's start reading in verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers 
transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So there are some people that deceive others and they act as if they're apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be, what's it say? According to their works. According to their works. They will be judged at the great white throne judgment according to their works. This never varies. It's always in the plural. This never varies according to the word of God. This is concerning the judgment of the lost. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 14. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. How about that? You see, when lost people try to stop the work of God at the great white throne judgment, they will be judged according to their works. Um... All of those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, when they stand before the judgment, when they stand before God at the great white throne judgment, will be judged. And here's what people say. Matthew chapter 7. Lord, Lord, have we not done many great works? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And they list all of these works that they've done. And Jesus Christ says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Your works do not save you. Your works do not save you. The basis of the judgment, the one thing that will move God to give entrance to heaven is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As saved people, and don't miss this, we're talking about the basis of the judgment. As saved people, and I think I mentioned this last week, we sing songs and we hear this idea that our sin is under the blood or is covered by the blood. That's not true. My sin as a believer has been washed away. It no longer exists. I am not just robed. I am completely clean. I have been washed. My sin has been cleansed. By the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that can cleanse it. Your good works cannot do it. So you will stand before God if you are not born again according to your works and be judged by that. When we as believers stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, a different judgment, we will never, ever give an account for one sin that we've ever committed. When I was talking and saying that, Patrick, you need to understand that there are different that there are different judgments. Are you born again? You know for sure that if you die today, you're going to heaven because you trust Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Is that right? You will never be condemned for your sin. You will never stand before Jesus Christ and be judged for your sin. Isn't that awesome? Why? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for that sin and that sin has been, and that debt, that payment has been applied to my account. When I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. All right? 
So, when Jesus Christ cleansed my sin, He died and He paid for past, present, and future sins, and they've been washed away. So, what is the basis for the judgment of believers at the judgment seat of Christ? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Remember, lost people are judged according to their works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 1. And I, what is that next word? Who are brethren? Save people. Save people. All right? Now, jump down to verse, just to make sure, I wanted you to see that to make sure you know who's being referenced. Look at verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, you know what, we need to, let's, let's start reading uh, in verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon, or thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, here's what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 13. Every man's work, is that works or work? Work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's what? Work. Of what sort? It is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive what? A reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? You see the difference here? At the judgment seat of Christ, my work is going to be judged to see what sort of work I have done. It's going to be judged to see whether my work is good or bad. Now, I just had a group of guys at my house last night, and they worked yesterday. They started at 9 o'clock in the morning. We stopped for lunch. Other than that, these guys worked through until 8 o'clock last night, and they did good work good work they messed up once or twice and you know what they did they did it again they didn't mess up again they took it down and they did it right uh, it got dark we couldn't see and so while, while I was getting the light they put a piece of, of uh, OSB plywood up on the the outside well when the light got there and they put the next the piece next to it the piece that they'd done in the dark looked like this. Now, here's what a lot of people would do. Well, that's good enough. You're going to cover it up anyway. Let's just go on. That's not good enough for Gordon and Doug and Dan. They took it down. They did it right. And you know what the, you know what the result was when they were done? Good work. How many of you know the difference between good work and bad work? That's what's being judged. The quality 
and quantity of your work. The kind of work that you are doing. And what you suffer, if your work is bad, is you suffer loss of reward, not the lake of fire. You are saved, yet so as by fire. I like that, so as by fire. Here's the image that you need. Swinging over hell on a banana peel. Okay? You made it. Some, and, and praise God, that's better than not making it. If you're born again, you're in. You are in if you're born again. But you know that there are people in this room that are born again, and yet when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, what work will you have? What work will you have to be judged? The work that's going to be judged is what you have done in the church. And it's listed. We just read it. The Apostle Paul, he laid a foundation. That's the Apostle's doctrine. We build churches. We do our work on top of what was laid. What's going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ is the work that you have done for the Lord. The Bible says that I've got to be a good pastor, that you are supposed to pray for me, that I can be a good pastor. You're not supposed to cause me trouble. Right? Why? Because I need to be able to be a good pastor for you as one that will give account. I'm going to give an account for the kind of work that I've done as pastor. Do you know that according to this passage, you're going to give an account for the kind of Sunday school teacher you are? You're going to give an account for the kind of church member you are. You're going to give an account for the kind of discipler you are. You're not only going to give an account for what you know. And some people say, well, you know, you know when, when you know something, then you're accountable for it. So I just won't know anything. Not only are you going to give an account for what you know, you're going to give an account for what you could have known. We've got some highly intelligent people here who spend that much time studying the Word of God. Listen, all of us, we need to take the next step in our work. In our work. How many of you believe what the Bible says about this? We are all going to give an account for how we are working. Now, can you work your way to heaven? No. No. If you want to be judged by your works, then you get to go to hell. That's it. That's how good your work is. All right? But as believers... In the power of the Holy Spirit. Does it say here that the people that are being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Does it say here that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. Is that what it says in verse 16. If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Then you can do a good work for him. And the Bible says. We looked at it last week in the book of Titus. That he has redeemed us from all iniquity. It's all gone. And he has purified in himself a peculiar people. Zealous of good works. We are supposed to do good works, but those good works are defined in the context of ministry through the local church. That's the way it's described in the Word of God. So here's the idea. What kind of church member are you? What kind of servant of God are you? But you don't know what they did to me. When God judges, is there any place where we're allowed to point fingers? No. See, here's the deal. I'm not, I'm not judged based on Dan New. 
at all. I don't give an account for Dan. I give an account for me. Here's the idea. We love to compare ourselves. God, I would have kept serving you, but here's what happened to me. Because this experience, this experience happened in my life, now I'm going to doubt you. I'm going to doubt your calling on my life. I'm going to doubt that you can ever use me again. Is there anything in the Bible that says anything like that? No. No. You see, God has given us all gifts. The Bible says He's given unto all of us gifts. Check it out, Romans chapter 4. All of us are given the measure of faith. We're all given gifts to use in the body of Christ, regardless of circumstances. Now, it doesn't mean we're all going to do the same thing. You, man, if I had built that stuff these guys did yesterday, it would be really bad. We have different gifts, but we're supposed to use those gifts for the Lord, regardless of circumstances. I'm too busy. I don't have time to study the Bible. Well, then you're just too busy. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer loss. And here's the question. And I know, I know there are people that are thinking this. Well, at least I'm saved. So what? So I lose. You don't understand, life is short. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, you see Him in His glory, and you with perfect mind then understand what He did for you, and you have nothing to bow, to, to, to lay before His feet, you're going to say, I wish I'd done more. Remember, the Bible says He wipes all tears from our eyes. And here's why. When the Bible describes the judgment seat of Christ, it describes believers. And then it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's not talking about the great white throne judgment. You are going to suffer loss based on the quality, good or bad, what sort of work you have done for the Lord, if you're born again. If you're lost, it doesn't matter. If you're lost, you're going to stand before Him according to your works. But if you're saved, then God wants you to work for Him. How many of you believe that if you're born again, God wants you to work for Him? So now here's your question. What are you doing? What are you doing? And do you believe what the Bible says? See, we all need to take the next step in our work. And here's what else I know. I know that if God has saved you, and if you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, that's what the Bible just says, then He's given you something to do. You say, I don't know what that is. You will. There are some things that we know that He wants you to do. We know that He doesn't want you to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. We know that He wants you to love one another. You'll know my, they'll know you are my disciples by your love one for another. So you can do that, right? You can assemble and you can love. We know that you can do that. We know, we know that it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you, here's some things that you know. You know that you should assemble. You know that you should love your brother. And we also know, you also know that you should be giving the gospel to somebody else. You know that. You also know that you're supposed to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So you know that you're supposed to assemble. You know that you're supposed to love the brethren. You know that you're supposed to tell people about Jesus Christ. And you know that you're supposed to be studying the word of God. 
You also know, according to the Word of God, that you, if you're born again, should be teaching someone else the truth of the Word of God. So you should be involved in discipleship. You know that. Well, I don't know how to teach somebody yet. Well, then maybe you should be discipled. These are some things that you know from the Word of God very clearly. But I'm hurt. Well, welcome to the club. Amen? Now, I don't want to minimize your hurt. I do not want to minimize your hurt. So hurt for a little while and then get back to work. Amen? Get back up on the horse and ride again. And you'll probably get thrown again. But get up and work. There's some things that we know that we're supposed to do. Then there's some specific tasks that you know you're supposed to do. That's personal. It's individual for you based on your giftedness and what God has revealed to you. Well, then be obedient to that. Amen? Do what God has told you to do. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now listen, I know somebody's thinking, man, he spent an hour and a half to get people to work harder in the church. (laughs) And you know what I'd say? Right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Here's the deal. I wanted you to understand biblically that this is not just some pastor saying you need to work harder. That's not what it is. You don't go to heaven based on how hard you work. Amen. Amen? But all of us will stand before Christ and give an account for what kind of work we have done as believers.